I said, in your name we pray. Somebody say, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we've got the pleasure of having Ryan Johnson with us. We're so excited. Ryan, if you want to go ahead and come. Ryan is a, um, has been a friend of Pastor Brad's for years, but is a friend of us all now. Um, and Ryan got upgraded to a little bigger bottle. So congratulations. We love you. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. That's awesome. I got a little bit of an upgrade. If I preach well, I'll get a grown-up or at least the worship pastor's water bottle. Lord have mercy. He's got a huge one. Uh, for those of you that have not ever heard me or seen me, you're unfamiliar with what I do and, and who I am. Let's go ahead and get this out there. This is my real voice. If I sound like a country hick, it's cause I are one. Uh, I'm truly Southern. It does not get any better than this voice. I know how I sound. I know that I am Southern to the T, but I love the fact that I am Southern to the T. I was born and raised in Northeast Alabama, partially raised where I currently live right now as well in the Great Smoky Mountains of Eastern Tennessee. Uh, pray for me. I also love where I live, but I live near the gates of hell known as the University of Tennessee. And, uh, there is that ugly orange everywhere I go. And if I hear Rocky Top one more time. But uh, nevertheless, I'm honored to be here. I appreciate Brad and Pamela for allowing us to continue the relationship we've had for over many years now. For allowing me to be a part of this weekend. I have had a blast. I'm so grateful for their family and our relationship I'm grateful and I'm going to give honor to your pastor for allowing me to be here and to take his pulpit this morning and over the weekend. It speaks volumes that he has faith in God, but a lot of trust in Brad considering he'd never heard me or knew me or anything. So, you know, that's man, that's, that's a man of God right there. And so I love that, that, uh, he, he would do that, but I want you to open your Bible to Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark chapter 10. And also after the service, I won't go into great detail about this, but I'd love for you to stop by our product table. We have many shirts and some books out there. And some of the people that were here over the weekend, maybe you can share some insight to our Throat Punch a Demon product, T-shirts and hoodies, and give some insight to the books as well. So if you know you hang out after service, you can help some other people so that I won't do it. I'll just tell you this, everything that is sold at that product table helps feed a family, my family. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't have a big corporate plane or a big bus or a camper or anything. I'm not that ministry. We're real. We're authentic. My wife and I on the 23rd of this month be married 27 years. She is my high school sweetheart. Amen. And uh, we have four children, two daughters, two boys. Our girls got married this year. At this year, both got married. One in February, one in June. I thought I had a great relationship with my daughters, but obviously they wanted to punish me somehow by having a wedding in the same year, both of them. And I kept reminding my daughters, we're in ministry. We don't have that much money. You got to lower the bar of the dream. You know what I'm saying? 
but we got through it. So now we inherited two son-in-laws and unfortunately they like to eat. So just stop by the product table. I can't convince my son-in-laws to be spiritual and go on a fast. (laughs) Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho and later he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd. A beggar who was blind named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he had heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began crying out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the man who was blind, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. And throwing off his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And replying to him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the man who was blind said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now, this is a very familiar passage of scripture. If you were raised in church at any time, you've possibly heard the story of blind Bartimaeus. You may have heard it in VBS or Sunday school class. It's very familiar, but there's some things I want to highlight that the Lord started dealing with me about it. First of all, I simply wanted to know a question one day. I'm reading this scripture, and I want to know what is it that made this 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 cry from Bartimaeus, what caused Jesus to stop? And not only stop and give attention to Bartimaeus, but to call Bartimaeus to come to him. And I started thinking about that. I started thinking about the way that he said it. And I want to share some things with you this morning. One of the things that we have in our culture, we have a tendency, especially in the deep south, we have a tendency to believe things are biblical, but they're not biblical at all. You know, when I, where I grew up, you, there, there was people that literally believed that the higher the hair, closer to God. And they could say that it was in the Bible. Our cleanliness is next to godliness. Your grandmother probably quoted that to you quite often. And I'm all for cleanliness. I think it is much needed. But it's not scripture. How about this one? He'll put my sins. He'll forget my sins. God, when I ask you to forgive me, you will forget my sins and throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. Here's the truth. The Bible does not speak of a sea of forgetfulness. There is no sea identified as forgetfulness. But boy, we love to say that's what the word of God says. And we love to say that because we have this idea that God forgets our sins. And the reason we have this idea is because it becomes permissible For us not to forgive other people because we say, I can't forget what you did to me. But the truth is, when we are forgiven by God, it is not that he forgets our sins. First of all, what kind of God would he be if he forgot anything? Can you imagine praying to God and having a conversation with him and all of a sudden God goes, wait a minute, what was your name again? Or you're praying to him and he goes, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. 
But we love to say that, especially husbands. I forgot to take out the trash. I'm sorry. The truth is, you didn't forget. You failed to remember. Here's what the Word of God says. God will cast your sins in the depth of the sea, never to remember or call, recall them again. That word remember or recall means that there is a substance. That re is exactly what it implies. The goodness of God's forgiveness is not based on the ability to forget. The goodness of God's forgiveness is he knows what you did to him, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross, the death, and the resurrection, God said, I'll never go back to where it is and pull it out and use it against you again. The goodness of his forgiveness is not based on the merit of forgiving and forgetting. It is based on the merit that he doesn't use it against you. So how are you and I to forgive? Believe it or not, there are things you're never going to fail to remember, but you have to forgive the same way that God forgives. How about when we, we've heard people say, God will never put more on me than what I can bear. That's not in the Bible. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, but God is faithful who will allow you not to be, or to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Here's what it says. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Let me tell you something. God will allow more to come upon you for the one reason that you can't handle it and you'll have to cry out to him. But it makes us feel good when we say, he'll never allow more on you than you can handle. What about when the enemy comes in like a flood? You ever heard that one? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord raises standard against him. We have crocheted pillows with that verse. But we have made the enemy bigger and badder than what he really is. That scripture in the English, it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the spirit of the Lord raises standard against him. It is, believe it or not, I can't believe I get to say this, but that is incorrect English. <laughs> the way that it reads in the Hebrew is when the enemy comes, comma, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord the flood doesn't belong to the enemy. The flood belongs to the Lord. So I got to thinking about this. Is it what he said? Because he says, son of David, have mercy on me. And then I got to thinking about, because my lovely wife and I, we do not battle. We don't have fights. We don't yell at each other. We don't do those things. But... There is this little thing that has called over, has caused over the years some tension. I never knew until I got married that I have a tone. Ryan, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And every husband said, Amen, I feel you, brother. I thought, was it his tone? Did he like, son of David, have mercy on me. Or was it, son of David, have mercy. You know, was it his tone? Because years of practice, I understand some things about tone sometimes. But here we are. In our English language, we don't, we don't simply say hello much anymore. We say, hey, 
But see, hey is one of those things in the, in a tone can be taken so many different ways. I can look at you, look at you and go, hey, that's very welcoming. I could also look at you and go, hey, it's not so welcoming. When I'm on the road for a long period of time and my wife is not with me, but I come home, I go, hey. And that has a whole other meaning. So did Bartimaeus. My wife loves that part right there, by the way. Shame. Was it the tone? Is is that how he done it? And so I went on this journey with the Lord because I wanted to know, because there's been times in my life when I've been calling out to God and I've been praying, but I never felt like in certain times and seasons, I didn't feel like I could even get his attention. You know, when Stephen is stoned to death, the word of God says Jesus stood up. That's always caught my attention. Bartimaeus is a blind man, and because he is blind, he becomes a beggar. You have to understand the fact that the Bible says he's the son of Timaeus. Timaeus is his father. His father, Bartimaeus' father, was a wealthy man in that region. Bartimaeus was someone of an identity. He was not born blind, and he was not initially a beggar. His family had money, but somewhere along the way, blindness strickens his body, and because he is blind, he now has to take on an identity that he never should have had to have. Because he's blind, he has to become a beggar. So they put a beggar's garment on him. So then when he's sitting on the roadside, people know that that man is a beggar. It was a way of marking them and identifying them that he wasn't simply just a crazy individual or whatever the case may be. He was a beggar. So the garment is upon him because of the blindness. But I'm amazed at something. First of all, he is blind, and there is a crowd of people that are walking with Jesus. They're all around him. And Bartimaeus hollers out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And even those that were close to Jesus looked at Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet and sit down. And I want you to know that sometimes in your walk with the Lord, when you have a time in your life when you're crying out to God, There will be people that will hurt your feelings in the manner of telling you to sit down and be quiet. But when you can recognize that there is presence in the room, you need to learn how not to be quiet, but you need to learn how to cry out to him all the more. I think it is impressive that everyone that was walking with Jesus side by side could not understand who he was, but a blind beggar on the side of the road recognized the presence of Jesus when he walked by. My, could we use some men and women of God that can recognize the presence of Jesus without all the hype. He cries out, Son of David. When you look at that in the scripture, your Bible will probably have a capital S on it. And it ought to be a clue to you. Something's different about that statement. Jesus is known as the son of David. It begins in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy. You know the part that you have a tendency to skip over? Because you don't care about who begot who and how they got begot. And you're like, Dear Lord, let's just get to the point and move on. 
He's referenced in that as the son of David, but it is a lowercase s. And throughout the Gospels, he's referenced as the son of David, always in a lowercase s. And when it's referencing in that part, it's talking about his heritage, his family tree. He's talking about his genealogy is that he is of the descendant of David. But in this particular passage, when Bartimaeus cries out, son of David, have mercy on me, he's not talking about his family tree. There's something significantly different about this. And again, I came to the realization it wasn't about the volume. It wasn't about the way he said it or how he said it. It wasn't about his tone. It was about what he said. And the thing is, he says it, and even though they tell him to be quiet and sit down, he says it again, but this time his volume goes up. And how interesting is it that Jesus stops and says, tell him to come to me. Then those that said, sit down and be quiet, suddenly comes to him and go like, oh, come on, he's calling for you, come on. I want to tell you something. It's why you can't put a hold, and I don't mean, I love people, be graceful with people, have mercy for people, but when you put people up on pedestals and believe that they are the type and shadow of who God is for you, you will always live in disappointment because people will tell you to be quiet one day and then cheer you on the next day. You need to know who God the Father is, Jesus the Son and Holy Spirit. Now, in saying that, they come, they're like, oh my gosh, he's calling for you. Come on, get your stuff. Let's go. But here's the first thing I want to ask. How many of you would have been okay with the fact that Jesus didn't come to him? We sing this song, He Touched Me. Remember the old Bill Gaither song, He Touched Me? It's a beautiful song. I don't have any issue with the song. I like the song. But a lot of our Christian walk, if we're honest, we're still waiting for God to come and do something for us. We come to church and say, oh God, move upon me, touch me. But we're not willing a lot of times to engage in our part because we would rather get a touch from the Lord than to be the one that has to go after the Lord and touch him. That's why I love the woman with the issue of blood. She's willing to get stepped on, get in the dirt, get nasty and get dirty, but she went after what she knew she had to go after. And when she touched him, the power was released. It could be you're waiting on God to do something for you to give you power, but the truth is he's waiting for you to touch him so that power might be released. So I love this about the invitation. There are invitations from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to come up higher, but we're setting... God, come to where I'm at. And there's moments of that. Don't get me wrong. There's moments of that. But this is what's beautiful about this. Because I want to tell you this morning, there must be an understanding that the encounter has to be greater than the experience. There are a lot of people in church culture in general that are thriving off of experiences But the problem is an experience of his presence will only sustain you in the temporary. And it's why you have to go from conference to conference, prophetic word to prophetic word, 
prayer line to prayer line, you cannot sustain or feed the hunger of your spirit through experiences. But what can satisfy the hunger is the encounter of his presence. There must be an encounter that is greater than the experience. Now stay with me just with this. I live in the Great Smoky Mountains. It is where God lives, by the way. He only visits Hilton Head. <laughs> I'm, I kid, but I love where I live. And I love the region I'm a part of. But if you've ever visited Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, we are a tourist town. If you ever visit, you know what I'm about to talk about. You'll understand it. But one of my favorite things to do, we have Dollywood, the home of Dolly Parton. What y'all got? We got Dolly. I was down here in Hilton Head and she was there yesterday. It's okay. We do, we, we have a lot of things. We're very much an attraction town, tourist town. But one of my favorite things to do in that region is what I've grown up doing most of my life with a lot of my family members. It's called a people watching. I love to sit on park benches and watch people. I like to try to look at people and say, there goes my cousin, there goes my aunt. It's really not. They just look like them, you know, act like them and all this. And I love to go, oh my gosh, there goes cousin so-and-so. I enjoy people watching. You ought to try it. It's great. One of the things, when you go to Gatlinburg, it's in the mountains, and so it, it narrows in, and everybody walks. And locals, you know locals, by the way, they walk, they kind of walk like this, their head down or maybe on the phone. Tourists, you know that they're tourists because they're walking. They're just looking at everything, you know, everything that's flashy. And I've seen it so many times. There's this thing here in Gatlinburg, this shops. What happens is the tourists have no intention to going into this particular shop, this particular business. And they're walking down the street and they're talking about, we're going to go do this and we're going to go do that. And all of a sudden they will come to a stop and you will watch them and they'll go. And you can see their nose flare up. And what's happened is they have caught the aroma of fudge. There are these fudge shops there that's constantly making fresh fudge. Some guy there with a big old wooden paddle and he's doing this. And the tourist who had no intention of getting any fudge all of a sudden stop what they're doing and where they're going to turn around and go into a fudge shop. And I have watched it every single time. I have never seen one individual walk into the fudge shop and simply go, okay, I'm good. Because the truth is, the experience of the aroma is not enough to satisfy them. What I do watch them do is take wallets out, set it on the counter, never ask how much it's going to cost me, but go, I'll take this, I'll take this, I'll take this, and I'll take this. And then they take that brick of fudge, they put it to their lips and bite down on it and go, mmm. 
And all of a sudden, they went from the experience of an aroma to the encounter of the taste. Let me tell you something. You can come to the house of God every single week and become so satisfied with the experience of the aroma of his presence, or you can taste and see that the Lord is good and go all the way into an encounter of his presence. And this is what I love about Bartimaeus. Because when they come to him and say, he's calling you, come. What does Bartimaeus do? He throws off the identity of the beggar. Let me be real with us this morning. The reason that many of us are holding on to things that we know that we need to let go of is because we're expecting God to remove it from us when he's already given you the power, the authority, and the name of Jesus to learn how to throw that thing off of you. Some of you are waiting for God to come and zap it away when he's telling you, throw that garment off of you. Then what does he do? He comes into the encounter. And he sees Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Notice something here. He didn't say, son of David, have mercy on me. He said, Rabboni, Rabboni. Now, let's talk about two different things here. You need to understand that son of David did not mean the, the legacy, the heritage. Son of David is the exact same word that's only mentioned one other time in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus said, who do they say that I am? Well, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're Jeremiah, some say that you're the prophets of old. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Barjona speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. That word right there meant Messiah, anointed one. You need to know that the phrase in English, Son of David, in this particular passage, is the exact same word as Messiah, anointed one. He did not simply cry out, son of David. He said, Messiah, anointed one, have mercy on me. Only two times in the Bible was Jesus truly ever identified. And it took a blind man in the identity of a beggar to recognize the presence of Jesus as Messiah, the anointed one, when those that were walking with him could not see him more than anything than a prophet, a healer, or a teacher. And yet here he is crying out. What caused Jesus to stop is because he knew who he was. But when he comes in the encounter, he doesn't say Messiah, anointed one. He says, Rabboni. Rabboni is not rabbi. Rabbi is teacher. It is a different word. Rabboni translates into master, 
I am your servant. So he goes from, you are Messiah, the anointed one, to when he is in the counter, in the encounter of his presence, he says, Master, I'm yours. And what do you want me to do for you? I want to see again. And Jesus gives him his eyesight. And you notice in the scripture that Bartimaeus didn't go back to the roadside. He didn't go back and pick up his identity as a blind beggar anymore. He didn't try to go back and be who he always was and what he always did and how he always did it because that's all he ever knew. See, a lot of times when you live off the experience, you will always try to go back and do all the things you've always been doing because you don't know how to function outside of the experience. But when you have an encounter of his presence, I want you to hear me. Two things will happen. It is impossible to go back and be who you once was doing what you always did. And the second thing is your vocabulary will change. The problem with a lot of us in American Christianity is the simple fact that our vocabulary has not changed. We say the Christianese stuff. We say the stuff that makes us appear to be holy and righteous in his presence. But the true fact is an encounter will change the way that you talk. It'll change the way that you see things. You'll understand, I don't simply go to church because it's Sunday. I've got to get into the house of God with my brothers and sisters in Christ because I need to be an encourager and a lifter up with one another. I need to pray around people. I need to worship around people. I need to hear the word of God and enriched in my family. And everything you're doing is based off the merit of the encounter of his presence because when you truly get into his presence, not only does your identity change, your language changes. There are some things this morning. For a lot of us, we, 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 we have this tendency where we try to be so much in the world. I don't know what it is about Christians in general in the sense that we're obsessed with celebrities coming to Christ because some reason I think we feel like Christianity will be marked as cool and accepted. I don't know what it is about how we want to be a part of certain fashion styles and fads and all this stuff and everything. I don't know why it is that if I preach holiness, I get called legalistic. If I preach the righteousness of Christ, I get called old school. I want to tell you, I can't survive off the experience. I've got to have his presence. There came a time in my life when I was a lot younger than I am now. I did not have a relationship with Jesus. I was not born again, but if you would have heard me talk, I would have told you that I was a Christian. I would have told you, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm saved. Yeah, we're buds. Never mind, I was down in heavy liquor and popping speed like it was Tic Tacs. Never mind, I was running from the call of God on my life, living with strong conviction of Holy Spirit. I would have had you convinced I was a good Christian, but the truth was I was a liar, manipulator, and I was a horrible husband. But I've never forgot the moment 
that when I came to an altar on November 30th, 1997, I didn't simply get saved. I died. The old man was put to the grave and a new Ryan rose from the dead that day. He looked at an entire congregation that he did not know, about 250 people. He knew some, but didn't know them all. And I looked and boldly said, I will never walk through another church store again without preaching the gospel. You have to understand something. I can't live off the experience because the experience, I would have went back and picked up the bottle of liquor and picked up the bottle of pills again. I would have went back and done the things that I was foolishly doing outside of Christ. But in that moment, at 19 years old, I'm facing open heart surgery because of all the alcohol and the pills I had done was damaging my heart. I almost had a stroke at three different times. And I'm facing open heart surgery. November 30th, I give my life to Christ. In January, I get invited to a prayer meeting. And I was so naive, I didn't have the language. I didn't know that you went to a prayer meeting to pray. (laughs) I had no clue. We get there at the church. They're like, all right, everybody pray. And I'm like, I I don't even know if I know how to pray. I went to the altar and I said, Lord, I don't know anything about you, but they tell me that you're a healer. And I don't want this open heart surgery, so I'm not moving until I'm healed. That was my prayer. It was it. And what felt like to me just a few minutes, I all of a sudden heard healed. That's all I heard. One word, healed. Past tense, complete, done, finished, healed. I got up, I turned around, the whole church was empty except one woman who knew me all my life. She said, Ryan, do you know how long you've been in that altar? I said, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, three and a half hours. I genuinely thought I had been there maybe at the longest 20 minutes. Three and a half hours. I had to call all the doctors. I had to tell them, we got to run all the tests again. They didn't want to do it. I had to argue with them. I was telling them on the phone, God healed me. And they're like, oh, that's so nice, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> we're, we're just going to keep things together. I begged them. I had to go back and do all the tests. <clears throat> on February 26th, 1998, I got a phone call. It was the doctor's office. They said, Mr. Johnson, um, we don't know how to explain this. But everywhere that you failed, every test that you failed, not only do you surpass it, but you surpass it with greater numbers than we have ever seen before. We're going to postpone the surgery and do some more tests on you and see how things go. On February the 28th, I got the letter in the mail clearing me. And you have to understand it was a big deal because on March the 1st, I turned 20 years old and preached for the first time in the church that I said I do with my wife. you got to understand the experience doesn't give me anything but a little bit of a taste, but the encounter is what I'm living off of because he's holy, he's pure, he's righteous, he's worthy. He is the Lord God Almighty. There's things that you got to do. I genuinely, sometimes I've gone to places, states that still have a lot of uh, older ways. Can I say it that way? I was in a state some years ago, and I, I was kind of dumbfounded. I go to a restaurant. And I go, just one. And they go, you want smoking or non-smoking? And I went, man, I've not heard that in years. And I look at the restaurant filled with smoke, and I'm like, there's an option? 
you go to McDonald's and they have those triangle ashtrays. Y'all remember that? The little rock pebbles. And I'm like, what world am I in? I go to the church. I go to minister. There's about 40 men sitting on this little white church, front porch, all puffing away. And I'm like, I've not seen that since I was a kid. And I'm giving you a point to something. I had someone come up to me and said, oh, would you pray that God takes my addiction of cigarettes away from me? You know, most of us, we want to go, oh, yes, I'll pray that, you know, God make them sick. Let it make them sick. Let it turn their stomach, you know. And I looked at him and I said, are you born again? Have you accepted Jesus? Like, yes, I've been born again for so many years. And I looked right at him and said, then no, I'm not going to pray that he takes it away from me. And they look at me like, what? And we go, you're a child of God. You have the power and authority to overcome that addiction. You don't need him to swoop down and take something from you when he's giving you the power of authority in his name to say, I can put this down. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Look right at him. I said, when you take that last cigarette, I'm going to let you finish the pack. When you take that last cigarette, now listen to me. This is important instruction. Listen, okay, you ready? They're like, okay, I'm ready. Don't go buy another pack. And they look at me and they go, oh, I can't do that. No, 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 no. It's not that you can't, it's that you won't. He has given you the power and the authority. If cigarettes or any other kind of addiction can't be overthrown by the power and authority Jesus has given you, then what has he given you? I'm telling you something. Some of you are wearing garments that you should never be wearing, but because of circumstances in life, you had to take on an identity that was forced upon you. And the truth is, he's given you the power. He's given you the authority. He's given you his name to throw that garment off to the side and then come into his presence and really ask what you need him to do. Bartimaeus didn't need Jesus to remove the beggar from him. He needed the healer to heal his eyes. I'll take care of the beggar identity. You take care of the eyesight. This morning, there are people in this house. You're waiting for God to do something in your life, and he's wanting to do it. But at the same time, he's calling you to get up from where you're at and come up higher into the encounter of his presence. And when you get there, you're going to understand that the thing that he was sent to do for you will be made possible. But at the same time, you'll walk away different, thinking different, talking different, and you'll look different because you You've been marked by his glory. Altar team, can you take your place? I need you to understand this morning. I shared this a little bit last night, not much. But this was not my dream for my life. This is not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to preach the gospel. I didn't want to prophesy. I sure enough didn't want to raise my hands in worship. I was at one point in my life satisfied on my own journey. But I didn't have an experience. I had an encounter. 
And it forever shifted me and changed me. I've seen some crazy things in my day. I've seen some beautiful things. In 26 years, November 30th. November 30th will mark 26 years of genuinely living. I'm more alive at 26 spiritually than I ever was before. I've had unique opportunities and great moments, but nothing has ever fed my hunger like the encounter of his presence. I want you to know that I know that there's many in this room that you need God to touch you supernaturally. And he will because he's a good God. He loves you so, so much. There's not a single person in this room that is an accident. You are not an error and you are not a mistake. God formed you. And I genuinely believe in my opinion that God looked when he formed you and told all of heaven, watch what I do through this one. But we try to disqualify ourselves. We try to limit ourselves. We try to wear garments we were never intended to wear. For some of you, you're wearing a garment of jealousy or envy or unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, rage, And I want you to know that yes, God can remove all those things. But as a son or a daughter of God, he's given the authority to throw off the things that you can throw off. Because what you really need him to work on is the things that you can't throw off. But it's gonna be determined whether or not you Make up your mind to continue to live off of the experiences of the Lord or go all in in the encounter. Maybe you have a relative, a friend that's telling you. In my case, all those years ago when I gave my life to Christ, my own mother, my grandfather, and a bunch of other family members said, I didn't need to go down this road with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues and prophecy and all that, all that stuff had faded away. Well, the more I read the word of God, the more I realized, boy, there sure does seem like there's something to this. And I didn't have a roadmap and I didn't have a blueprint other than the word of God. And I shared last night one book that forever changed my life was The God Chasers by Tommy Tenney. And I made up my mind, I will chase after him for the rest of my life. As the old song says, there's no one who has done me or can do me like the Lord. No one. There's none greater than him. I never took another drink of alcohol or pills. I don't condemn anybody for having a glass of wine or having a beer. I don't condemn anybody from it. 
I speak on drunkenness because that's clear in the Bible. But I've never condemned anyone. I've had plenty of people say, you want a glass of wine? I say, no. They go, wine. And I say, I don't trust me. So I don't condemn people for what they do. I just know what he'd done for me. I never pick up any wine. I never had another peel. But for three years after Jesus, I walked around with unforgiveness and anger in my heart towards some people. And I was pastoring a church. And one morning, I'd been married at that time for four years. One morning I woke up and I looked in the mirror and for the first time in my life, I didn't hate what I saw. And I said, God, what is going on this morning? And the Lord spoke to me and said, you see you how I see you. And I said, how is that? And I heard the Lord say, love. I looked up in the mirror and I could see Christy asleep in the bed. And it sounds so horrible, but it's just the truth. Because I could see the love of God in me for the first time in my life. That's when I fell in love with my wife. I said, oh my gosh, I love this woman. It could be because you've become so satisfied in the garments that the reason you can't get into the encounter is because you keep waiting for him to come and touch you when he's inviting you to come to him. All over this house this morning, there could be some even in the balcony that you've never truly been born again. And the greatest invitation that could be ever given to you is come that you may die so that you may live and be born again. And these altar workers are going to walk you through that. For some of you, in just a moment, when you stand, it's going to seem silly to some, but it's a prophetic activation. When you stand, you need to take that old raggedy garment off of you and you need to take it off and throw it to the ground. And in one motion of taking it off and throwing it to the ground, you need to come to an altar and have an encounter with his presence. Some of you that don't even have the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to be filled without even asking for it because he wants to give you the abundance of who he is. God loves you. And he has a plan for your life and you need to know it. So when you throw that garment off, take that step and come to the altar. Ryan, do I have to go to an altar? No, you don't have to. But let me tell you something. Fire never falls on the altar because the altar is built. Fire falls on sacrifice. When sacrifice is placed on the altar, the fire falls. You are to be a living sacrifice. So all over this house, if you know that you have a garment, an identity, something that's been weighing you in a moment when we stand, you take it off, throw it down, and you come. If you've never been born again, you come. If you need the encounter of his presence to know him as healer, deliverer, way maker, wonderful, mighty, 
God, Yahweh, El Shaddai, Elohim, Elohim, to know him in the presence of who he is. I want to challenge you and charge you all over this house and in the balcony. Do not let the steps stop you from coming down and coming into his presence. So on the count of three, get ready to throw some garments off and come and be with him all over. Are we ready? One, two, three, stand to your feet, throw the garments down, and come to the presence at the altar. Get those to pray with you. Get them to lay hands with you. Lay and spend time with Him. Come and know that He is, He is the Lord God Almighty.